Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. With 185 jailhouse deaths over 15 years, California's state auditor has released a blistering report about conditions in San Diego County's jails, which are operated by the Sheriff's Department. The audit found a litany of problems in the jails, especially related to poor treatment of inmates' medical and mental health problems and the shoddy performance of regular safety checks on prisoners. The audit says Current oversight bodies aren't doing their job, and it recommends that the state legislature intervene to improve conditions in the jails. The Sheriff's Department disputes some of the audit's findings and says it's taken appropriate measures to prevent and respond to inmate deaths and jail safety concerns. Los Angeles's lowest paid workers will get a pay bump this summer. Mayor Eric Garcetti has announced that LA's minimum wage will rise to more than $16 an hour on July 1st. KCRW's Daryl Satsman reports. LA's minimum wage jumped to $15 an hour for companies with more than 26 employees at the beginning of the year. And now it's set to go up again thanks to a minimum wage law that was passed back in 2015. That law incrementally lifted the minimum over the past few years. It also changed the city's municipal code to tie future hikes to the consumer price index for the L.A. metro area to keep up with inflation. Do the math, and that comes out to $16.04 an hour this year. That provision takes effect in July, and it will likely lead to further increases in future years. In his announcement, Garcetti said it's a reflection of L.A.'s commitment to end what he called poverty wages, and it potentially benefits about 600,000 local workers. L.A. is still behind some other California cities when it comes to raising the minimum. In the Bay Area, workers in Emeryville, Sunnyvale, and Mountain View are all guaranteed more than $17 an hour. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satzman in Los Angeles. The woman dubbed California's vaccine czar is resigning to take a job in San Francisco. Yolanda Richardson has served as secretary of the government operations agency since January of 2020 and has played a key role in the state's pandemic response. Among other things, Richardson helped lead the state's COVID vaccination rollout. This comes after California's Surgeon General Nadine Burke-Harris also announced her resignation earlier this week. A man has been arrested in connection with a fight in a parking lot at SoFi Stadium during last Sunday's NFC Championship game, which left a 49ers fan from the Bay Area badly injured. The arrest was first reported by KNBC Television in Los Angeles, who confirmed it with Inglewood Mayor James Butts. Speaking at a news conference last night before the man was taken into custody, Butts described what surveillance video showed during the incident between the injured Niners fan, James Luna, and the other person. It appears that the injured person, Luna, pushed the suspect from behind. It appears that the suspect then retaliated by pushing Mr. Luna from behind and then struck Mr. Luna once 
in the mouth area. Luna was found a short time later by security and transported to a local hospital. The 40-year-old who owns a restaurant in Oakland remains hospitalized after being forced into a medically induced coma due to brain swelling. Mayor Butts was asked numerous times why it took so long for police to report the incident. He mainly deflected in his responses and denied the city and police department wanted to hide Luna's injuries. This all comes as SoFi Stadium is getting set to host the Super Bowl in a little more than a week. But says despite this incident, he's confident in security at the stadium. Earlier this week, we told you about San Francisco relaxing its mask mandate. Now Los Angeles County health officials have announced their new criteria for when that county's indoor mask mandate can be lifted. Here's KPCC's Jackie Fortier. In a few weeks, L.A. County may approach another pandemic turning point, dropping the indoor mask mandate. When transmission is lower, we will appropriately be relaxing some masking requirements, but we're not there yet. That's County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. Right now, everyone over the age of two needs to wear a mask indoors regardless of vaccination status. Under the new criteria, masks can come off as community transmission declines, first outdoors at schools, then when transmission drops even lower, indoors at offices and restaurants. And we also need to note that there should be no emerging reports of significantly circulating new variants of concern that threaten vaccine effectiveness. When vaccines aren't able to work so well, having a, a mask on becomes an imperative. L.A. County is still solidly in the CDC's high transmission category, though cases and hospitalizations continue to fall. For The California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. In response to the Omicron surge, the Newsom administration is increasing its reliance on a border wall company to provide medical staffing around the state. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. The Texas-based company SLSCO built stretches of border wall in California under former President Donald Trump. Back then, the state filed lawsuits over this work. Now, the Newsom administration is paying the company hundreds of millions of dollars in exchange for COVID-19 medical personnel. That's left immigration rights groups frustrated. Pedro Rios is with the American Friends Service Committee. There are probably many other companies that could do the job that don't have a questionable background. SLSCO pivoted to the medical staffing business during the pandemic. Thousands of its personnel have been deployed at vaccination sites, hospitals, and local health clinics in California. The workers also screened and vaccinated tens of thousands of migrants at the southern border, not far from the wall SLSCO built to keep migrants out. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul, for 30 years or wander the desert uncover a hidden well and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles the snap judgment podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes snap judgment listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts
The 2022 Olympic Games open in Beijing today, and that sporting spectacle has some people remembering the one and only time the Winter Games were held here in California. It was in 1960 at the then-named Squaw Valley near Lake Tahoe, now renamed Palisades Tahoe. This, as you know, is the greatest spectacle in all winter sports. The world's best skiers and skaters have come to this remote valley with the odd-sounding name, Squaw Valley. It was a surprise for many when Squaw Valley was chosen to host the 1960 Games. People outside of California didn't exactly think of the state as a winter wonderland, and conditions at Squaw Valley were pretty threadbare and rustic when preparations for the Olympics started. It was pretty much an empty valley. That's David Antonucci, the author of Snowball's Chance, the story of the 1960 Olympic Winter Games. There was a ski area there with one ski lift, two rope toes, and a 50-room lodge, and a, a gravel road leading into the valley. So there wasn't much there. But when athletes from 30 countries finally gathered at Squall Valley for the two weeks of competition, the place was ready for the global spotlight, thanks in part to the role of one man who knew how to put on a good show. First of all and foremost was the Walt Disney influence and the merging of entertainment with athleticism. It was Disney and his team who made sure the 1960 games were spectator and camera ready, with meticulous planning of the opening and closing events, entertainment programming, and the awarding of medals. Victory ceremonies crown each day with pomp and pageantry. The winner stands highest, second place on his right, third the left. But even with the world's attention focused on it, the Squaw Valley Games, says David Antonucci, were pretty informal. They were considered the last of the intimate, low-key games where the athletes and the spectators actually could mix together and almost all of the venues were in within walking distance, all very close to each other. And you literally could stand in one spot and see two or three of these events going on at the same time. As for the competitions themselves, women's speed skating and the biathlon made their Olympic debuts at the 1960 Games. And American Penny Patu was the only person to win multiple medals in skiing, getting two silver medals for a women's downhill and the giant slalom. Penny, number one to start, sets a blistering pace. She's been a top contender for at least four years. She's over in one minute, 38. A mark for shootout. And more than six decades later, what's the lasting legacy of the 1960 Olympics at Squaw Valley? Well, David Antonucci says the games put California, especially the Lake Tahoe area, on the winter sports map. First of all, it catapulted Lake Tahoe to international stardom. And second, it kickstarted the Western ski industry. We had a, a major expansion in alpine and even cross-country skiing in the years following the Olympics. And it, it changed the perceptions more than anything about what California had in terms of winter recreation.
And finally, to a preview of our sister show, the California Reports Weekly Magazine, which has been collecting remembrances of Californians we've lost to COVID. This week, a tribute from a granddaughter to a beloved grandfather. It comes to us from Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños. My grandpa's name was Tomas Reyes Soto, but we all called him Papi Tomas. Before moving to the United States in 1985, he lived in Mexicali with my grandma and their five kids. He made and sold tacos. My mom, Monica, says those are some of her favorite memories with her dad. I just remember he used to make like the best tacos, the best flour tortilla tacos with the best salsas. He made like really good spicy salsas. That was his thing. But he always wanted his children to have more opportunities. And he thought moving to the United States was a way to provide that for them. When he arrived in Madeira in the Central Valley, he started working as a farm worker. Uh, he would tell all of us, you better pay attention in school or this will be your future. Do well in school. And uh, I, I took it literally. I wanted to get straight A's because I did not like working in the fields. My mom says he was a tough love kind of dad. But my grandma says that all changed when he became a grandpa. Se ponía a contarlos. <laughs> Se ponía a contarlos cada rato y cuántos son. He'd start counting his grandkids, she says. Every few years, he'd say, how many are there now? And he'd name us, but not by our actual names, by the nicknames he'd give us. One of my cousins was Rabanito, radish in English, because he blushed easily. Another one was nadador, or swimmer, because he started swimming in the tub at only six months old. I was his Madi Yupi, or his Moniquita Jr. And the lessons my papi Tomas taught me changed my life. He taught me that nothing was out of my reach. You can hear more of Mari Bolaños' tribute to her grandpa on this week's California Report magazine. Tune in on some public radio stations or download the podcast. You can also find the podcast for this show. And that's the California Report for Friday, February 4th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! <laughs> 